Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer. And if you want to listen to this later, it's being recorded currently. Cool. Oh, I guess I, I want you that. to talk about the obstruction you were just talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that was I'm going to have nightmares now. Yeah. Talking about bowel obstructions, uh, just amongst ourselves, yeah. just uh-huh. for good times. Banter. Yeah, that's what we talk about at work. Uh-huh. And to my left here, Hottie Patati, Will Schmidt, fitness trainer to the stars, extraordinaire. How you doing? Good. How Hello, you? extraordinaire. Hello. Extraordinaire over there. Hello. Um, today's show topic is... How is your energy production, and how fast or how slow are you metabolizing the foods you process best? That's what we're going to talk about on today's show. Cool. And for all you Kick It Naturally listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. Audible.com. Just go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook to find the link. Yeah, that's where you find it. Mm-hmm. So... I guess we're going to talk about this show, and I think that this is going to be an interesting topic because I think a lot of times it goes a different direction than most people think it is. People view like uh, their metabolism as either I'm allowed to eat a box of cookies and still be skinny, or I'm not, mm-hmm. and they think that that's pretty much all there is to metabolism, right? But there's a lot more to it, and especially when you talk about somebody being Bat poop crazy. Is it going to mm. be sciencey? Oh, no. Oh, no. We don't do science. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might be some science. There might be a little. But before I forget to say something, if you haven't followed us yet on Facebook at Kick It In The Nuts, then I don't know what you, you'll you have to... I, I think don't even know what I'm saying. There's only seven people left that have not followed us. In the world us. that haven't followed us yet. So yeah. uh, you guys need to follow us because we have a lot of cool stuff that happens on that page. And that's exactly where we post the questions for the week, what we're going to talk about. And you guys can ask any questions. You can even tell us a topic that you want to hear about. Right. And we had some people do that this week. They gave some good topics that we'll probably do soon. So we like that. Um, So for this one, let's kind of jump into questions because the first few questions will kind of help us talk about why why are we talking about this. right. Alan. You can speed up metabolism drinking a glass of water half an hour after eating. I really like Alan's suggestion because it's wrong, <laughs> and it's a horrible uh, I was about suggestion. To say, doesn't that like yeah. neutralize all the acid or something in the yeah. food with digestion? Yeah, not a fan. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I'm sure he's a nice dude, but what we th- what we think about digesting food, it's better not to drink a bunch of water. So here's something that you should consider when you're thinking about Alan's idea being a good idea is that the stomach does need to have some water 
to digest. And if someone has no water, then adding some water in there could help get everything processed correctly. But when you when you add anything considerable amount, you're going to just dilute the acid that is needed to yeah. break it down. Especially if you're eating like dry foods, like if you had dried fruit or something like that, or like food that's low water content in general, I suppose. Right. Like if your lunch was just crackers. Yeah, mm-hmm. or mango Aww. chips. Mm-hmm. Um, Lunchables. Right. Yeah, but the, this uh, is a lot different than the stuff we're going to get into today. Yeah. What if you had water like prior to the meal? Would that still basically be the same thing? If your stomach is empty and you just put water in there, it doesn't take a long time for it to move through. It, it kind of, you know, 20 minutes and it's it's gone through pretty much for most people. Um some people are alive in a lot faster than that, but it doesn't sit there. You know, different foods don't need to be in there as long. Like if you have just fruit, it can move out of there pretty quickly. Because that was, should have been on our myth show because that's like one of the number one myths of all time. If you drink water, you'll get full faster. Drink a bunch of water when you eat. I mean, pretty much everybody says that. Weight Watchers, oh, really? every program out there says that that's wrong. And then you're totally screwing your digestion because you're drinking all this water, pounding it while you eat. Right, and and they also promote water a lot because water can benefit weight loss in a lot of ways by helping the body get rid of a lot of junk that could have get stored in fat cells, but they probably just don't understand that, hey, you want to do that water away from your food so that you don't turn off digestion. Mm-hmm. Amy from Los Angeles, California. One, please go into more detail about what oxidation is and what our breath rate means. Tell us about our body. Means or tells us about our body, sorry. Two, how do these affect or how are they affected by digestion? Three, how does one's uh, metabolic rate get increased? Four, I have a breath rate of about 10, am highly anabolic, low BP, constipation, bloating with pretty much everything I eat, but just started supplementing with HCL, beet flow, and mineral drops this week. Again, what foods are best for me to eat as I'm working on fixing all my craziness? That is a good amount of craziness. Yeah. Um, So first, let's talk about what we're even talking about when we say slow and fast oxidation. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, there's yeah. different. I mean, there's even different kinds of oxidation. Basically, means when oxygen is combining with something else, and it changes the the location of electrons from like one group of molecules to another. So we're we're talking about a molecular change when we're talking about oxidation. And there's different ways that are different things that get oxidized, like glu- like fats can be oxidized. Carbohydrates can be oxidized, even protein, amino acids can be oxidized. So there's there's like a healthy way for the cells to make energy, and then there's there's other less healthy ways. But in both cases, things are being oxidized. So we, I guess we can get further into detail about those things. Well, we can, and, and, and a good way to view it as in a simplistic form is with what a lot of what we're going to talk about here when we talk about oxidation, it can just be... It's talking about the speed at which the tissues convert food into energy, and that can include, you know, glycolysis, Krebs cycle, fat oxidation, all kinds of stuff like that. But just to kind of make it easy for someone to understand who doesn't want to be sciencey, you can just look at, hey, the speed that food gets 
turned into energy mm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So now let's, if you want to go deeper into oxidation, let's do that. Yeah. And so there, there is like a form of oxidation that's generally really healthy for the cells. And that's when, when the mitochondria are oxidizing glucose directly in a healthy way where they end up creating a lot of ATP water and CO2 as a byproduct of this cellular respiration or mitochondrial respiration. And then there's like a less optimal way when there's different things that get in the way of the mitochondria being able to do that. Like calcium could be in the mitochondria, fatty acids can be damaged, and a lot of like things can happen to damage. There's a wide variety of choices. Yes, there could be no... To have things screwed up. Right, there could be no glucose available, there are too many fatty acids. Uh, different hormones can get in the way, lack of thyroid hormone, all sorts of things can mess up that nice clean energy production of the mitochondria. And then people start to make energy more in this way that is, uh, I guess, typical of a diabetic, where they're oxidizing fatty acids. And that ends up creating way less ATP and way more ammonia and um, less CO2. So And more lactic acid also. So instead of a bunch of ATP, water, and CO2, carbon dioxide, you end up with less ATP, ammonia, lactic acid, and an electrolyte imbalance where the, the, the electrolytes like calcium and sodium that are supposed to be outside the cells end up getting sucked into the inside of the cells. And it creates this electrolyte imbalance where there's swelling and edema and way less energy available. And then there can be other totally different problems, too, where if yeah. somebody's overly anabolic, they can be creating a lot of energy through fermentation, which I like it when Will calls that dirty. Yeah, a dirty mm. way. Yeah. Um, Talk dirty to me, dude. Right. <laughs> so there's a, a, a lot of problems that can go on there, um, a lot of different ways that there can be problems. Um, but we kind of got into this um, from the work of George Watson, and his book, uh, Nutrition in Your Mind. And uh, he, he, he did his research back in like the 60s through the 80s kind of thing. So some of it is a, is a little old and we know some new things now and that's great. But it's still a brilliant book. And um, I want to focus a lot of what we talk about today on how this, these issues can affect mind performance and brain function. Um, because I think that's the biggest deal. Uh, let's l- look at some of what other Amy's questions were. How does it affect how they... Okay, how is it affected by digestion? Hmm. Um, well, if someone can't digest proteins correctly, it can end up having them gravitate towards carbs, and then all that carb consumption with the excess CO2, do you want to explain how that could speed up breath rate? And Yeah, so our, our breath rate is it's affected by a number of different things like your nervous system, your, the pH levels in your blood. But one of the factors that speeds or slows your breath rate is how quickly your body is processing glucose. Because when you process glucose in that cleaner way, you end up producing carbon dioxide in the bloodstream, and then your body has to balance that out with oxygen. So in the bloodstream, it's trying to constantly maintain this right level of oxygen to carbon dioxide and when you start producing more carbon dioxide you'll start exhaling it more often so your breath rate speeds up when you're less effective at making uh, energy in this clean healthy way we'll see like in a diabetic where they're not processing carbohydrates quickly we'll see slower and slower breath rates 
because they're not the way their cells are working, it's not producing a lot of carbon dioxide as they go through their metabolic processes. So their body ends up trying to retain more of that CO2 in the bloodstream by exhaling it out less often. So you'll see a slower breath rate from that. It's not trying to get more or less oxygen necessarily. It's all about trying to regulate the amount of carbon dioxide in the bloodstream. Right, and this is a it's a really important thing that it's doing here because the bloodstream has a very narrow range of pH that it can stay within and we get to be alive. Mm. So it's not like eh, some people will breathe faster if they have a more acidic bloodstream. No, it's like this is what the body does. Yeah. And so there are a few different ways that you can kind of look at um, you know, like breath hold can give you some indications of what the pH of the bloodstream is looking like. But breath rate is really the gold star, and that's kind of what we use as the heaviest uh, measurement and gauge of to, as to is someone leaning towards a slow oxidizer or a, a fast oxidizer. Yeah, and when you look at her second question of how are these affected by digestion, for example, if someone isn't uh, processing, like you said, proteins, well, they're not assimilating them, then they're going to be more reliant on carbohydrates that they consume or fats, and they'll typically want to run more on glucose, just because that's like cells like, like that, it's easier for them to use. So when they eat carbs and protein, but they don't digest the protein, then they burn through the sugar that they got from the carbohydrates kind of quickly, and then there's nothing left. Because they didn't They're get hungry again, right? So Even if they ate protein, right? That protein was just going to fat, and and instead, like if it was working right, the liver would have a, a source of glu- of glycogen that it could draw from from the proteins, because it would store pyruvate, which is like this metabolized, assimilated form of protein in the liver that the liver can then just secrete and give and create glucose for the cells. Yeah, and, and here's a kind of a, a good way to picture this, is if you and your friends are making a bonfire, and so you put some logs on there, and you put a little bit of kindling, and you light it on fire, and the logs burn, and everybody can just kind of sit there and enjoy the fire. But if you don't have logs, and you're just burning kindling, like carbohydrates burn quickly, and they're done real quick, if you're just burning kindling, then the whole night you and all your friends are just running around trying to find more kindling to keep this fire going. Yeah. And that's the way that a lot of people eat is they'll, if they're just eating carbs and they rip through that, um, then they lose fuel and they snap and freak out and the brain doesn't have energy and they're psycho. Tony yeah. Robbins says something like that too about like, don't put a big log on the fire. If you're like speaking of a huge meal, cause then it's just gonna, you know, but if you put like, if you just feed yourself little mills all day, you'll keep the fire going. Metabolism. Well, that's a... He's it's looking a totally at a different, different viewpoint yeah, yeah, yeah. of things, yeah. and he also doesn't teach about digestion. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of how we got to this thing of eat eat small meals throughout the day. A lot of people can't handle a lot of food in their stomach mm-hmm. at once. Um, but here's what we kind of... The point we want to help people understand the most is that some foods are harder to oxidize than other foods. It takes longer to burn through them. And some people oxidize faster than other people do. So what you do is if you take a person who oxidizes very quickly, they're ripping through fuel faster than they should, 
and they're also eating the foods that are very easy to burn through, you see that they just kind of magnify their problem, where if a fuel doesn't last long and they're a person that uses fuel very fastly, they're eating the wrong food. They're ripping through that too quickly. And you can find immediate improvement with somebody if someone is oxidizing food too quickly and you give them the foods that take longer to oxidize, all of a sudden it's almost like a a slow-release Tylenol capsule for them or the log on the fire that takes a long time to burn. All of a sudden they have fuel to their brain that lasts longer. Yeah, and I guess as an example that we can draw from in Watson's book was he... He categorizes people into people that were burning through glucose and glycogen slowly versus fast. And the people that burned through it fast needed these types of logs that they could get from high purine proteins, right. so like darker meats, uh, oilier fish. Salmon. Yeah, even though we're maybe not a fan of the fatty acids. But the type of proteins that were in right. the darker meats and ruminant red meats and things like that are rich in the forms of amino acids that could be turned into these big logs on the fire, stored in the liver, and then tapped and used for energy. And the people that were uh, burning through energy really fast, like they did really well on that, and they would be pulled out of like literal insanity, like schizophrenic rage and like um, just complete incoherence and bipolar behavior. He would correct them by fixing this one issue and, and getting it so that their cells and their brain had a steady supply of glucose. Whether they were burning through too fast or too slow, he were able to look at different metabolic markers and find, okay, what is the right type of fuel and the right kinds of nutrients for this person to get that, that fire burning at just the right level. And, and, when, and I've seen this firsthand with full-on mentally ill individuals i had why do you uh, look at me I had, <laughs> no i think I was, I was looking i was wondering if you remembered this particular girl that i'm thinking of. i'm not going to say her name but i think that she uh works for me before you came along even and um but she had spent her life in and out of uh mental facilities and had you know schizophrenia and a lot of major issues but um not so severe that she couldn't also be out in the world but sometimes she should not have been out in the world. But she was literally uh, insane. I mean, she's someone that someone would call, oh, that person is an insane person. Um, and she was a fast oxidizer. Her breath and Tony rate... invites her to work for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for a while. Yeah, it was a, so we're married. Yeah. And uh, it's going well. And so We're going to have crazy babies. Uh-huh. But her breath rate was like 25, which is very fast. And you don't see 25 that often. Um, but... Uh, so she's what we would call a fast oxidizer. She's ripping through that fuel very quickly, and then she's left with nothing. And, of course, this issue that we're talking about becomes magnified when you look at uh, hypoglycemia issues that go along with that, where if someone's insulin is overly powerful overly powerful, and uh, they rip through that really quick, too. So, um, And this was the situation that she was in, but... When we could give her high purine protein type foods, um, sardines and anchovies seem to work the best. And for some people, that's really gross. And but those are hard to oxidize foods, and it's like a log on the fire. And when she ate those, 
she was the sweetest, most normal, smart. Her like she's a funct- seal. <laughs> it really was like that. It was like she would come in someday, and it was like leaning towards the old her. And I was like, "Hey, let's have some sardines right now." Um, and so she got sick of eating those, but then she would take anchovies and chop them up and put them in like sauces, and so she could have that in every meal. And she was able to sustain. Uh, Fuel to the brain and function as a human being. Where is she now? Um, she's in she a hospital. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Sea World. I haven't talked to her in a long time. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it's it was a it was a I drastic it was a drastic confirmation of wow this is for real and this is right after I started to learn about George Washington stuff. Um, but it just kind of shows you that it can be. Dramatic. So yeah. you just took her on it to be a guinea pig, basically. So <laughs> no, see if these no. things work. No. Next so. question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's not listening. Oh, okay. So Debbie from Ozark, Missouri, just finished reading George Watson's book, Nutrition and Your Mind. Amazing and information full. I have a practical question. According to his diagnostic test, I'm a slow oxidizer. He recommended eating what the fast oxidizer should not, which included sugars and starches. How does that fit into the way we all eat here? What would some examples of foods that would go along with my slow? T.C. Hale has already provided some great information on protein choices, but I'm still interested in hearing more. Thanks for all you do. I'm better because you're here. Oh, that's really sweet, Debbie. Aww. Thank you. But hold on a second because I forgot about something with Amy. Then we'll come back to Debbie. Oh, I thought you said the girl's name, the crazy girl's name. Uh, no, ah. no last, last question was from Amy. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> Amy was not the insane person. No. That, okay, but... Love um, Amy. She mentioned that her breath rate is 10. So, well, let's explain where the optimal breath rate would be because and, and, 10 is a little slower than we want to see it. It is a little slow. Um, so, ideally, it's right around 15 or 16 without you having to try to make it. Like, don't sit there and try to breathe fast. I can breathe faster. <laughs> and score better. No. Um, but with it being slow, there's a few things that could be contributing to it other than, like, your choice of foods. But... If you um, if your bloodstream is overly alkaline or if you have an underactive thyroid, both of those can end up causing your uh, your cells to be less capable. Well, for the, both of those can cause your breath rate to get slower for different reasons. If you're like drinking too much alkaline water or alkalizing or something like that, then you're just shifting your blood pH in a way where your body wants to retain more CO2 to try to balance that out so your breath rate will get slower. If you have an underactive thyroid, then this healthy, effective way of your cells making energy is going to be deficient. So your cells are going to process energy in a way that ends up producing less carbon dioxide. Right, and in that optimal way, the byproduct is carbon dioxide, so it's speeding up the breath. Right, right. So if you have things that are getting in the way of your thyroid function, like... In this person, she described low blood pressure, constipated, anabolic. Most of those people don't have sufficient nitrogen for their endocrine system to run. Because the protein's not breaking down. Yeah. So that's that's another way that digestion affects these things. Like if you don't have nitrogen for your thyroid to run correctly, it won't secrete 
thyroid hormone, which will, will then cause a deficiency in this healthy mitochondrial respiration, which ends up creating less CO2 in the bloodstream. So we could look at like fix your digestion, get it so that you can absorb protein and assimilate it to make nitrogen and support your thyroid, and then your cells' natural mitochondrial respiration can start to pick up and we'll see an increase in breath rate from that. If you're a health, fitness, or nutrition professional, check out our other podcast, Six Figure Health Pro. We dig into the latest marketing techniques and business growing strategies for health professionals. To learn how to take your business to the next level, search for Six Figure Health Pro on iTunes or Stitcher, or go to sixfigurehealthpro.com to learn more. Now do what you're told. Right, and um, an interesting thing with this, and now we'll go on to, to Debbie's too, uh, and also, could you just explain how to test your own breath rate? You know, it's yeah, it's tricky. It really is because <laughs> yes. when you're like, oh, I'm going to check my breath rate, you're kind of thinking, I'm checking my breath rate. One, I wonder how fast I'm breathing. Two, yeah. I should I breathe faster? Four, five, six, right. and you just kind of screw yourself up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the best way is to like first of all try not to care <laughs> when your score is and just <laughs> uh-huh. let yourself breathe. I like to lay on a couch, set my phone timer to a minute and i start it like when when i start a, when i inhale mm-hmm. and I, and it just i i set my phone like on my abdomen so you can see your phone rise and fall and you just count how many breaths how many complete breaths like you know like so you take in that minute time um and, and don't time. watch the clock while you're doing that you want to not see it because then you're going to gauge yeah. ooh i'm at 8 right now and i only have 20 seconds right, i better going, speed up and around the corner yeah or you can have a friend count how many breaths you take um but it is it is one of the, like the, it is the harder test to do on yourself because breathing is usually a subconscious sort of semi-voluntary thing and you're intimately conscious of it when you're counting how many breaths you're taking right and like if you have a, a partner it's really great to check it while they're just watching TV or while they're sleeping and they're not they're not conscious of what you're doing I found it really effective that if they're sleeping be right in their face yeah, counting exactly. it so if they wake up you're like right there in their face like standing above the bed you took 800 breaths 867 breaths that old uh, co-worker of yours person that you had working for you um Okay, so now moving on to Debbie, she talks about how uh, George Watson says that a slow oxidizer should eat things like um, starches and, and sugars. I like George Watson. Yeah. <laughs> right. But here, here's something to kind of think about that coincides with what we say. And here's kind of one way that we figured this out, that um, a lot of the stuff like the work that of people that do George Watson type stuff, David Walcott, I think is his name, is one of them, or I can't remember. But we had two diets that we used a lot with our clients, and one was for slow oxidizers, and one was for fast oxidizers. And uh, like the slow oxidizers had a lot of things like white chicken meat and white fish and uh, those things that are easier to break down. And the fast oxidizers had things like salmon and steak and sardines and things that are harder to oxidize. Um, But what we found was that if someone did not have effective digestion and you put them on the fast oxidizer diet, you kind of ruined them. They, Mm. they They couldn't digest those types of proteins. So 
the the white fish types of things, white chicken, those are easier to digest. So we found that if someone didn't have digestive capacity and, and they had like low blood pressure, that you really wanted to put them on the slow oxidizer diet no matter what until you could help reestablish their digestive capacity to break down protein. I didn't think I ever really knew, but I guess I'm a fast oxidizer because I have salmon and dark chicken and steak and all that is what I'm supposed to be doing. You leaned a little fast yeah. in the beginning, but and let's come back to that because I want to talk about correcting this, but um but you know George Watson wanted slow oxidizers to have more carbs in the same way that we want people with low blood pressure and no digestive ability to have more carbs. When you remove the carbs, they're completely wrecked. There's nothing left to function on because there's not enough mineral in the system and you took away their carbs and now they're ruined. Okay, so that's one <laughs> so that's one thing to consider. Um, but here's where the real results come from when you're doing this. And and when you're looking at your breath rate, you know, most people are gonna fall in that you know, 15 to 18 range, and then it it doesn't matter so much. You can just eat the foods that you find are right for you. Um, but where this becomes very effective is when people are way in the other direction either way, whether they're a very fast oxidizer or a very slow oxidizer. Because in those cases, there's usually something kind of trouble that's being caused. And when you change the food they're eating – the results can be amazing, like unbelievable. Probably one of the most unbelievable things that I do with clients is these particular situations. Mm. Uh, but even when I do that, it's usually a short-term solution because the goal is to fix the actual problem. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about how to fix like a slow oxidizer and a fast oxidizer? Yeah. I mean, usually, I think we've talked about it a bit already. With the fast oxidizer, it's oftentimes an, a problem of just enabling them to be able to digest proteins and fats better so that they're not just relying on carbohydrates. And when that happens, then all of a sudden they, they have these big logs on the fire available to them. When it's a slow oxidizer imbalance, there's there's a few different things that could be really wrong that could, if they're really stuck in it. Like someone who's a diabetic who's developed a, ma- a major degree of insulin resistance and there's damage to their mitochondria and the cells are not processing carbohydrates effectively anymore and that can take that can take some time to recondition and enable them to be able to use carbohydrates effectively sometimes they need more cofactors to process carbs correctly so we'll often recommend a supplement called bonobochrome that has things like chromin picolinate and bonoboleaf that help them metabolize carbs Sometimes they have damage to the mitochondria that can happen from too much free radical damage and fatty acids that can block their ability to oxidize glucose correctly. Um, So those cells need to repair and heal themselves. And sometimes they're overly alkaline on accident from like how they're eating, like different things that they may be taking antacids and such. And that can be impairing their ability to oxidize. So you want to look at what is, oh, and also an underactive thyroid, again, can cause this slower breath rate. So you want to look at what are the things that's causing this person to not be able to produce energy through proper mitochondrial respiration. And let's go back, especially to the diabetic thing for a second and explain what's going on there because when you see someone who's diabetic or maybe they're just insulin resistant, uh, but if they can't process those sugars, then the byproduct of carbon dioxide never comes to fruition. Yeah. So 
that's making that bloodstream lean to alkaline. And and when you think about it, a lot of people just think, oh, it's diabetic. But when when they're not processing those sugars, the sugars stay in the bloodstream and that blood sugar goes higher. That's what's causing high blood sugar is the sugars that are not being processed correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of steps need to be taken to correct that situation, but it, it helps us understand uh, why someone could have a, a slow breath rate like that. And that could come also from not having enough, consuming enough carbs, because that can be the same as not processing enough carbs. To fix this situation, some of the underlying causes can be very complicated, but very simple things can be, hey, drink some carbonated water. Right. Yeah, so there's different solutions. I'm I'm generally not a fan of using starches with anyone unless they have like very specific bodybuilding intentions to try to like stimulate massive muscle growth. But I, I don't like the recommendation of starches, even though I love George Watson's observations. I don't think starches are usually a good solution for someone. Well, he also had the thought of these new fad, low carbohydrate diets uh, are not providing energy like nature has intended. And, you know, back then we didn't know the thing that a person can become even fat adapted and can burn fat for fuel in a lot of scenarios, even if they're not in ketosis. You know, that was not as much of a widely understood thing as it is now. Um, But seeing what he saw was that, oh, when you take these carbohydrates away from these people, they become insane. Mm. We see the same thing when they're a low blood pressure. When you take them away from Kenna. Yeah, when you take them away from (laughs) Kenna. Kenna is the perfect example of insanity when you take away the carbohydrates. So... Um, but but we see the same thing just for a little bit of a different reason and a little bit of a, a magnified situation. Yeah, like I I would say that they they do oftentimes just need help having the right kinds of carbs and the ability to process them. So sometimes that's like you said, pushing their bloodstream to be more acidic so they can properly oxidize the cells. Sometimes it's taking other vitamin cofactors that help them perform glycolysis and sometimes it's having more like fruits and fruit sugars in their diet that provide stable glucose for them. Uh, And sometimes it's a matter of reconditioning insulin sensitivity. So avoiding like things that spike and drop their insulin really hard like high starch meals so that their insulin sensitivity can be restored to like a normal level all those things could be potential solutions for someone who's stuck in a slow oxidizer imbalance if some of the things the carbonated water is not working well enough for you you're having a hard time with that if you work with a coach they have access to some other things um that they that might help you like uh the uh mito nrg that was created from George Watson's work. That's a supplement that Empirical makes, but it's only available through health coaches. Consumers can't get that one. Yeah, and and again, the way that really works is just by helping the mitochondria have what they need to make and the right environment and the right cofactors to help them make energy out of sugar, which is really critical. And when that's not working right, that is not okay. Like then the cells still have to make energy, but they end up doing it in this very damaging way is it a dirty way a dirty way <laughs> dirty wrong <laughs> dirty bad <laughs> like, dirty but bad what's, what's bad about it really is like it ends up being what like a lot of times will be referred to as the meta- like the met the metabolism of cancer like how cancer cells work where they're performing anaerobic fermentation meaning they're like 
They're oxidizing and changing chemical makeup of things without the use of oxygen, even in the presence of oxygen. So even though you're still breathing and there's still oxygen near the cells, the way that they are processing energy is not using that oxygen. They're anaerobic fermentation. So that ends up creating a lot of free radical damage, ammonia, lactate, and it doesn't create CO2. So we end up getting pH imbalances, and it disturbs where the electrolytes are in and outside the cells. So the cells become more calcium retentive, and they start to swell. And that further blocks the mitochondria's ability to make energy. And while we're talking about ways to improve the situation, keep in mind that when we look at somebody's physiology, and, and we teach in the books and courses, that there is a priority to what you want to look at. And this particular situation, this particular type of imbalance, is further down that priority list. And the you know digestion is always the very front row, that that's crucial to look at that. And then we have to look at electrolytes. And if someone doesn't have mineral content and their resources are low, um, that can be the reason that a lot of things are not going well. Uh, so a lot of times when you fix those things in the higher hierarchy uh, slots, you, this can kind of start to improve itself on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's more important is uh, anabolic, catabolic situations. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, and they, they kind of go together when we look at what the anabolic and catabolic situation is where the anabolic, or I'll talk about the catabolic situation first where there's usually too many fatty acids and uh, tissue breakdown occurring from that. We'll see the mitochondria's ability to make energy is directly impaired by excess fatty acids. There's free radicals that occur from, from those compounds and that blocks the ability of the cells to make energy in a healthy way. So when we correct a catabolic imbalance and reduce the amount of free radical damage that's occurring at the cellular level, we see this this oxidation challenge start to repair itself. And in the anabolic imbalance, there's a different problem of where of how cells are able to make energy that's not so much just impaired by fatty acids, but also by the ability of oxygen to get into the cells and the cells to be able to use that oxygen. So both situations are have a direct effect on cellular metabolism, and correcting either one is critical. Right, and, and so if you're looking at your breath rate and saying that it's very high or very low and you see, okay, there is an issue here, I, I don't view this as you are forever a slow oxidizer, only eat whitefish from now on, never eat anything else. I don't view it that way at all. Like with Kenna, like what you were saying is we started off with her being a little bit of a fat, fast oxidizer. Um, <laughs> oh, Freudian slip, a fat oxidizer? Oh, I'm leaving. Later. I said fast, <laughs> fast oxidizer. All right. um, but <laughs> you just oh, wanted gosh. me to be in trouble. Is oh, all you. But um, we improved that situation and, and – you might not even remember that you had focused on any other food. So it's not something that she has to keep focusing on those type of foods to be a human being. Um, it's kind of like a blood type diet type situation where we feel like that's very effective if a person has no digestion. But if you fix digestion, it can kind of become obsolete. And the same thing here, that changing foods can really change a person's whole world uh, if they're in a a dire situation. Um, but when you 
improve the imbalance, all of a sudden they can eat all the foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you do any of the self-testing work that we talk about, you'll see like throughout the day you're changing like a lot, like whether where your pH is at, where your breath rate's at, where your blood pressure's at, all those shift around a lot. So don't think that you're you're stuck in one thing um, and then you just got to follow that diet forever. Like, right, yeah. It's the same. Like, You'll likely just create an imbalance in the other direction. Yeah, you just push and push the wrong way too, or too far. So you, it's really important to monitor and know that everything counts, like the amount of sleep you got, the amount of stress you got, the altitude that you're at, how humid it is, how hydrated you are. You know, All these things are going to shift your chemistry around. Right, so in the show notes on this episode, we'll put these two diets that – uh, we kind of help people look at, oh, these might be a little bit better foods if you're a fast oxidizer. Um, we'll put those in the show notes so that you can look at them. Just don't look at that and say, oh, this is what I eat forever and these are the only foods I can eat. It's not that you can only eat those foods. It's more of a thing of, hey, the more often I can include some of these foods, the better I may feel right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and just also just because we like recommend a book doesn't mean we believe everything in it. Like That's so important. Yeah. Because this is absolutely probably one of my top two or three favorite books. Yeah, it's fantastic. And there's like a bunch of recommendations I don't Yeah, that I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. no, George. Sorry about right. that. That's not, that's not accurate anymore. Right. But what he's, like the, the key insight that he had was like, look at like glucose metabolism and the speed that it's happening. At. How you go about augmenting someone's diet in light of that. Uh, we maybe have different opinions on, and then all the other factors that we need to look at, like correcting digestion, is is something like George doesn't talk about even once. He doesn't talk right. about correcting digestion. Right. And uh, also, one more note on foods is that when you look at these diet sheets, and if you, to find the show notes, you just go to kickitinthenuts dot com and you hover over a radio show, and then there's an option for. Uh, previous episodes or something and then that you can click on each one and it has the show notes for that show but uh when you look at the foods you know these lists talk about proteins that are better for slow oxidizers and proteins that are better for fast oxidizers but also like vegetables like broccoli is better for a slow oxidizer and artichokes are better for a fast oxidizer but all the vegetable options don't seem to be as powerful as the proteins. It's, mm-hmm. The protein is really where the magic is, and if you just focus on doing the right proteins, mm-hmm. everything else might not matter so mm-hmm. much. It's kind of like with the anabolic-catabolic issue, like the kinds of fats that you eat are really, really dictative of where you sit in that realm. Right. Yeah. Let's do more questions. All right. Okay. Michelle from Embler, Oregon. How can we best support energy production for athletic endeavors, mostly cardio distance? So that's an interesting question um, because and – and this could depend on whether you know weight loss was desired or if you were already at a weight that you'd like. You know, that would could drastically alter things. But when you're looking at performance um, – you know, one interesting thing is that uh, fat burning, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of athletes are seeing that, hey, a, a ketogenic diet gives me better performance when I'm looking at long distance. But we know that a ketogenic diet in an extreme can be pro-catabolic. And we also know that long distance cardio exercising is very pro-catabolic. So even though that may be the best fuel source to make that performance better, I don't know that that's the best choice to put those two things together 
I think Will Schmidt agrees with me. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I think certain aspects of when you get into ketosis, which is a high-fat, moderate-protein, almost zero-carb diet, you'll have really stable energy, and your body will oxidize fats and, and your own muscles to some degree really effectively so you can perform especially like moderate intensity exercise for a long time without crashing but it's also creating energy in a way where there's a there's a lot more catabolism occurring and is that, it dirty or clean dirty oh. yeah and and i don't I, I don't when somebody wants to be a long distance athlete i'm always like look you're gonna go too catabolic i just yeah. know you're gonna you're gonna have to take steps to to work around that so you're not just deteriorating because when you see long distance runners and you know there there's there's no not a lot of muscle no. going on there. It's all been kind of bone. deteriorated a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you know if you wanted to, but one thing that is effective, even if you are going to do carbs, is not doing the type of carbs that cause the spikes and the crashes, but doing the type of carbs you know like fruits and sweet potatoes, the, the medium, the things that we talk about in medium carb world. Yeah, yeah. Though like for health, like. As far as your cells lasting a long time and you being disease resistant, um, it is really great to have a stable source of glucose available, which best comes from uh, lower glycemic sugars like the ones found in fruits. So when your body has those to draw from, your cells can make energy in this clean way and and not produce a ton of free radicals and you can feel really stable so the idea of eating like a bunch of pasta the night before like yeah. that whole high school football level nutrition was i think it's really poorly timed because you're going to spike and drop your insulin and have like all sorts of like cortisol issues overnight i think it's much better when you can just get your body to have a stable supply of of uh fructose rich foods to draw from as not high fructose corn syrup not high fructose corn but like the kinds of sugars found in fruits even even some natural sugars in like coconut water and honey like sucrose based sugars are still a far better more stable energy source than starches and if you're going to be that long distance type of athlete you may find that you know, fueling during that activity may be appropriate for you as well. Yeah, not Gatorade, which is like mostly dextrose, but things, I mean, there's electrolytes in Gatorade, but things like coconut water or fruit juices that you can draw from while you're on the go. Stephen from Bonnie Lake, Washington. Should you eat every time you are hungry if you want to keep metabolism high and avoid muscle breakdown? Of course, by this I mean eating healthy, complex carbs, high protein, smaller meals, but more often, etc. I eat a lot and I get hungry very often. I want to know if I can cut down on my meals and lose fat while maintaining muscle. Also, I'm working out about once a week due to a full schedule. Other random questions. What kinds of foods should you eat close to bedtime? How much fiber per day is too much? Slow down. <laughs> so, um, first of all, no. No. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, like, healthy complex carbs, like, to me, I've said this earlier in the podcast, like, I only really like starches if someone is trying to create an insulin spike. And you would maybe do that if you're trying to bodybuild. And even if that is you, you're not doing that at every meal. No. It's, you want to create ups and downs with those hormonal levels or the hormones are going to go the wrong way. Yeah, unless you're just taking steroids and you're just going to grow from that. I mean, not that, that there's whole, you've got a whole other basket of problems at yeah. that point. But like 
doing a lot of starches in a post-strength training meal can spike your insulin very heavily and trigger an anabolic growth response. But that's not... Uh, that's uh, it's how you make yourself hungry if you want to be hungry more often right it's to spike your insulin a lot so try just having a bowl of rice breakfast and see how long <laughs> see you how last long you <laughs> you right um but if you want to have stable energy throughout the day and reduce your cravings you want to create a stable blood sugar situation where your body is drawing from proteins and fats and slow-burning natural sugars and has sufficient electrolytes throughout the day so your blood pressure and blood sugar stay pretty stable. And you'll find you'll start eating a lot less food and be able to keep muscle mass on when you do that. And I think that there are some things that uh, people confuse as fast metabolism. And one of them can be uh, a strong insulin response and a person who's eating a lot of healthy, quote-unquote, complex carbohydrates, which is not, I'm not saying Stephen's horrible for thinking that. That's what most of the world believes, and that's what our food pyramid shows us, is that you should have all kinds of complex carbohydrates. But where I think people confuse it as metabolism is they're, they're ripping through these sugars, having these spikes and crashes, and they're hungry again because insulin is still high, so they can't access fat stores for fuel. And since they're hungry again, they're viewing that as, man, my metabolism is fast. Mm -hmm. But that's not always the case. And another situation is if they can't digest what they ate, they're hungry again pretty soon, unless it feels like a rock in their stomach and they feel lousy. But they can be hungry again just because they didn't process what they just ate as well. And, and those two things are not fast metabolism. Those are malfunctions. Yeah. I remember when I was like early 20s and I had a ton of difficulty putting on any muscle mass I would eat like 8 egg omelets with a bowl of oatmeal and a banana and peanut butter and marshmallows oh and hot God. chocolate for breakfast right. and then like 2 hours later I'd have like a bag of steak with a side of potatoes <laughs> and then I'd have steak in a bag right? and then I'd have like this huge burrito for lunch and then I'd be, my stomach would be growling like 2 hours later wow. because my my insulin was off the chart, up and down, up and down. And now, like, with the way I eat, I'll have, like, usually three or four shakes throughout the day and then a solid meal for dinner. And even by then, I'm not, like, crazy hungry just because the way I eat provides stable energy for myself throughout the day and I don't get any of these spikes and drops. Right. So if Stephen Kim reduces complex carbohydrates to more medium-carb carbohydrates, um... Uh, just think like butternut squash or something. You know, it has carbohydrates in it, but it's not going to spike and crash your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And then actually digest some protein, get some fats in there. Then once you burn that fuel, insulin levels are low enough where your body can access stored fat and you have fuel. You don't have to eat again. Your body's not going to break down muscle tissue to create glucose because it can't access stored fat. That's where you lose a lot of the muscle is when your body has no choice but to go after muscle. Yeah, and that we can we can look at the example of like the ketogenic diet. Well, you tend to keep decent levels of muscle mass on because you just enter fat metabolism. You start just using fats, and you're not tapping muscles so much to create glycogen because you're just oxidizing fats at that point. But he he asked, how can I cut down on meals without like, while maintaining muscle? The the worst way to do that would be to do like 
high glycemic meals because then you're going to spike and drop your insulin like you said not be able to tap into fats for energy and that's what triggers muscle catabolism right your body's searching for glucose and it mines your muscles for that glucose and you asked about fiber and here's my thought i could be wrong i've been wrong about stuff before no (laughs) (laughs) it's happened there was there was this one time where i was wrong but I was mistaken. You I was were not wrong. That, yeah. yeah, that was the mistake. But that still counts as being wrong. Yeah, you I, thought you were wrong. Right, about something yeah. else. But. Okay. Anyways, but um, how much fiber is too much? I don't know that there is a amount of fiber that's too much. What's too much is when you're eating high fiber foods to try and get fiber, but you're really just eating a bunch of carbohydrates. Mm. So if you were actually just having like just just colon fiber, blow. like yeah, just colon <laughs> blow or spoonfuls of psyllium husk, you know, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I don't know that there would be a I mean I'm sure there is a too much, but most people are not gonna reach that. No date on fiber. Yeah. But if you're eating hyper fiber rich foods, it's usually you're usually that's doing it wrong. Yeah. Just get your fiber from the vegetables you're eating and Yeah. And not not all fibers are great for you either. It is um if something's making you gassy or bloated, like you shouldn't just keep eating it because you were you were told, told to have fiber. Like even too much cellulose, which is a natural plant occurring fiber, can be pretty problematic. So you wanna pay attention to those digestive symptoms to make sure that it's not giving you problems. Let's have a take a break and have Kenna give us a message real quick. Okay, here's your message. If you'd like to learn how to become a health coach or even just dig into more advanced teachings for yourself or your family, go to healthprocourse.com to learn about Tony and Will's course course, <laughs> course for coaches. Registration for this course only opens to the public for about a week at a time. So be sure to register for the coach newsletter so you'll be notified when the next registration opens. You'll find more info at healthprocourse.com. Okay, let's finish up some questions. We gotta wrap it up. All right, here we go. We got Avery. So, if I'm a slow oxidizer with bad digestion and I eat something that's really tough to digest, this could be the reason that I'm not hungry at my next meal. And then I get in trouble, sick, because I didn't get the nutrition I needed from the tough to digest meal and the meal I skipped. Yeah, kind of like, uh, look at it like the fast oxidizer who eats foods that are very easy to rip through. They rip through fuel too quickly. But a slow oxidizer eating food that's very hard to oxidize is like you're sitting there whacking on a a brick all day and you can't access anything that's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can cause a problem. You You might either not want to eat because you feel lousy and something's sitting there like a rock, or you want to eat again soon because you didn't get any nutrition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say for Avery, she'd want to take uh, steps to make sure she had all the the right nutrients and cofactors she needs to be able to metabolize carbohydrates. She'd want to eat carbohydrates to provide like stable glucose, like these but medium, low carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah, you know, like sweet potato, maybe might yeah, be the highest carb food you ate. Right, or maybe some some berries, berries, like, yeah, you know, throw in your smoothie, that kind of thing. Uh, and then you'd want to avoid like high purine proteins because they're harder to break down. Stick towards the more dark chicken meat yeah. would be bad. R- steak, right? So be better veering more towards like egg whites and chicken and things like that. Or you can do yolks too, but the protein in eggs. Um, and then also making sure you're not overly alkaline. So you could add in some carbonated water and maybe some of those other supplements we talked about earlier, like Bonabacrome. All right, Rainya, I am probably. 
I am probably a slow oxidizer. I am probably a slow oxidizer from what I've read so far. What is the best food, worst food, and how do you know for sure you are not a fast oxidizer? The two conditions, although opposite, have same symptoms. And is there a way to change that? Will fixing digestion eventually fix it? Does certain exercise routines fix it? Is there any hope? I bet there is. There might be some hope. Um, there was one question. That, oh, yeah, they they both usually cause the same type of symptom because the symptoms are usually a result of the brain not getting fuel. And that's kind of what goes haphazard first. Um, so that's one point that's important. Uh, we talked a lot about the best foods and worst foods already, mm-hmm. plus we're going to put those lists up on the show notes. Um we talked about how digestion fixing can fix some of those things. Uh, and what do you think about working out? Yeah. For um, each one. For if you're a fast oxidizer, doing long, a moderate intensity cardio would be the worst idea, I think. Because it's just going to like really speed the rate at which you're burning through glucose and you're already really burning through glucose. So right. I think that would be a problem. Whereas for a slower oxidizer, that kind of exercise could be really useful. Like if you have chronically high blood sugar, doing that kind of cardio could help your body start to get to use some of that sugar for energy. Um, Both, I think, can benefit from uh, strength training to a moderate degree where you're doing it for like somewhere between 20 to 30 minutes and getting your body uh, used to making energy and and effectively metabolizing fuel for, for work. Um, and they can they can have a blood sugar regulating effect, but I think long low intensity cardio would be unadvisable for a fast oxidizer. Another one of her questions was, how do you know which one you are? Yeah. And I think the biggest marker not it's not symptoms, it's I'd say breath rate is a clear. It's like if you have a breath rate of ten, you're not a fast oxidizer. Right. If you have a breath rate of twenty, you're you're not a slow oxidizer. Right. You know? right. So go by your breath rate when you're if you're confused. Um, yeah. So, so if you're right, if you're at 15, you're just an average oxidizer. Yeah, you're average. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing good. good. You're a star. Um, so let's just review a little bit of the things that we learned. Did we learn anything? Mm. I learned um, I don't even know what I am anymore. Yeah. yeah. I got a birthday coming up though, so maybe somebody mm. might right. test. <laughs> that's nice. So <laughs> first thing that's most important is is view this off of breath rate. And use that as your main judge to see if you even have an issue that you need to work on. Um, and the next is that changing the foods can bring some immediate improvement, but that's not really the long-term answer. The long-term answer is to try and fix enough things so that your breath rate goes into the right range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like as usual, correcting digestive issues is a big priority. And then um, in the midst of that, if you tend to be a slower oxidizer, you might want to tend towards lower purine proteins like white meats and chicken or eggs and things. And if you're a faster oxidizer, higher purine proteins like dark meats, beef, dark chicken, oilier fish. Uh, and there's other things that you'd want to look at, like as far as your endocrine system. Like if you have a sub-functioning or hyper-functioning thyroid, those are definitely going to throw off your the speed at which your body's burning through sugar and glucose in general. So you'd want to look at that also. Cool. 
All righty. If you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the free four-week digestion course at Kick It In The Nuts. And if you're interested in the uh, uh, the health coach courses, you can go to healthprocourse.com to learn more about how to become a health coach. Also, head on over to Will Schmidt's MyBodyOfKnowledge.net, and he's got a great website there with a lot of helpful information. And until next time... Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.